Hello there, welcome to Poet Waffle episode 5 with me, Daniel Cockrell, where I invite a poet around my house for a chat and during that chat we explore the visceral space between facts and fiction, uh, which I believe is more of a feeling uh, where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal some truths that are ignored by those other fields. And it gives me great pleasure uh, to welcome uh, into my office uh, poet, writer, theatre maker, Maria Ferguson. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm all right, Maria. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I suppose the first thing to mention is we're in uh, my office. Yes. Um, and if the listeners can hear any pitter-patter of rain, is it's because it's absolutely teeming down out there it is but it's very cozy in here and you know like i think it's quite nice when you have rain outside and you can hear the rain yeah i use it to sleep sometimes you know those apps where yeah. you can get rain sounds or i just put it on youtube so what you want the listeners to fall asleep while yeah, have, you know have a cup of tea get all cozy maybe no. have a nap afterwards well i would say if you've got a glass of wine you can yeah. hear the, the pitter patter of rain. they probably can't hear it but if they can hear the pitter-patter of rain, yeah. it's because there's a hurricane out there. You know, so get cosy with me and Maria. Yeah, but don't uh, fall asleep. <laughs> our dulcet tones. Um, so, Maria, you're, I've known, I don't know how long I've known you for. Quite a while. Quite a while. Any idea in years? I'd say maybe seven years. Really? Six or seven. Okay, I kind of thought it was more than that, but maybe not. Maybe not. Well, I started doing poetry... Well, I joined the Roundhouse Poetry Collective in 2011, so it can't be more than eight. Right. OK. Sounds like, so, I suppose the first question is, why and how did you get into doing this type of thing? Which we're not sure... You know, you are a poet and you are a writer and you do one-person shows. Mm, yeah. Um... How did you, how, why did you start doing that? How did you start doing that? Did you know about this sort of thing? No, I didn't really know about this sort of thing, to be honest. I trained as an actor. Did I went you? to drama school, yeah. I went to East 15 acting school. Yeah. And I did a community theatre course there. Um, and thought I wanted to be an actor. And then very quickly realised that I didn't want to be an actor. Right. Um, but I did still love performing and... I'd started writing while I was at East 15. I'd started just writing things in a book sort of next to my bed. Yeah. And it was these things that kind of happened to rhyme-ish. Yeah. Mostly, you know, why don't you love me, that sort of thing. You know, talking about drinking whiskey and thinking you're really interesting. <laughs> um, but I didn't really know what it was. And then I'd heard of some spoken word artists, but only like Polar Bear, Kate Tempest, yeah. Scroobius Pip. Someone had sent me Polar Bear's video of Jessica, which I yeah. know, you know, he can't really stand now. But yeah. um, I watched that and I was like, that's good, what's that? Yeah. And then I went to this audition, actually. It was for like a, a monologue night. This was when I was graduated and I was like, oh, God, I'm graduating. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, get a job. 
get a job. I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I did this audition for, for this monologue night and you could bring something that you had written yourself. So I brought the one and only piece that I had actually finished and thought that's a spoken word, air quotes, piece. Did you know the word spoken word at that point there? Or uh, not, had it not been invented? It, it had been invented, it was around, but right. I didn't know really what spoken word was. I didn't yeah. know that that was a thing that was happening. Yeah. Um, but I had this piece called The Owl and the Pussycat, which is still on YouTube somewhere and is the first sort of poem that I did and turned out to be the poem that people ask you to do again and again and yeah, again yeah. and eventually hate. But yeah. I find it so embarrassing now as well. It's awful. Oh, do you? It's so bad. How long is it though? Three, three About three minutes. minutes yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did this this poem thing for the audition, and I got it. And so I performed at this monologue night, and they said, you know, you should go to the Roundhouse. They have a poetry collective. Yeah. And they have um, a competition, a poetry slam, at the Roundhouse, and I was like. What is that? And they, but Kate Tempest was one of the judges, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, I've heard of her." Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. And so I did that, and I got to the final. And Polar Bear was one of the judges, and I was like, "Oh, that's the bloke from the." I wasn't comparing. The video. Was I? You might have been, you know. You've definitely that. compared one of the ones I've done. I've definitely I've done judged those things and compared them. Yeah. And I can't remember where which ones um I did. And I don't know if it was the first one that I did because I did it a few times, but mm. you. You definitely did one of the ones yeah, that, yeah. that I did. But yeah, anyway, Polar Bear was like, I like I liked your stuff. I run the Poetry Collective here. We meet every Sunday for a few hours, do some writing together, listen to each other. I'll give you some advice. I'm like your mentor for the year. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, you know, like I had nothing to focus on. I'd just come out of drama school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Got a job at a call centre. Yeah. And I thought, you know, this will give me some drive, something to sort of work towards. And so then I went to to that for a year and I met the other people in my poetry collective who are now like some of my best mates. Yeah. And amazing writers. Well, and what an amazing uh, group of artists that came out of those, especially those first few years of the Roundhouse Poetry Collective. Oh, yeah. I don't, it's still probably really amazing, but there's some great artists. Yeah. Well, just in your year. You know, oh, we were the best year. But it was let's, just, you know, Jess Green, fair. Cecilia Nat. <laughs> Who else is there? Jack Rook. Jack Rook, of yeah. course. Brilliant. You know, everyone making amazing art, um, travelling the country doing it. It's mad when we, because we, we say this all the time, like, we look back at that and us sharing these god-awful poems. Yeah. <laughs> on a Sunday. And, um... Sort of how how far we've come and but you must how have known sort of something was special about it. You must have felt, oh, this is something. Even when you're doing the rubbish stuff and sharing, you must have thought there's something here. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I loved it from the very beginning. I mean, you must have given me one of my first gigs because we did Bang as a collective. Yeah, well, I mean, Bang used Bang to the Gun used to give every year group of that roundhouse a. A gig and the really good ones would get you in as headliners. Yeah, because I did. I, I I was your poet 
poet in residence. In residence, yeah. So you used after to have that. A, I had a monthly poet in residence. Yeah. yeah. So I got like ten minutes or something every week for yeah, a month. Yeah. yeah. Really helped me, and you know, developed my writing and stuff like that. And obviously, through Roundhouse, we did loads of festivals, yeah. and it was just so much fun. And you just you just sort of work your way up, don't you? You do the the open mic to the guest spots to the feature to. And I think also the Roundhouse gave you a good footing in the the sort of business of it, you know, of how yeah. to or, you know, or producers. Oh, you can get this person to produce your show, or you can get so. You, you were introduced to all of those things, which mm. was never available before your before that collective. That didn't exist, really, mm. in a sense. Uh, I think Lem Sisse was probably one of the first people I saw do a one man show with a, in a theatre right, with yeah. a producer and yeah. a and a director. Yeah. Um, and then it suddenly became a thing, and now it's big. Everyone does it, don't they? Yeah, to the point where it's kind of like. Everyone does it, but I don't know if everyone should do it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a massive thing of mine. So, you know, not everyone should write a book. because Because yeah. your poetry might not be suitable for a book. Not everyone should make a film. Not everyone should do a one-man show. Not everyone should carve their poem in the side of a building. But one of those things might be what you should be doing. Exactly, you know? yeah. And I feel like it's sort of become this rite of passage. And I know, you know, I did it. Um but it's sort of like, you know, you do, you do all those things and then it's sort of like, what's the next step? But Where do you go from it's, here? It's a funding problem, isn't it? Because it, if you see uh, someone doing their one-man show and you know they've had, or their one-woman show, and you know that they've been funded, yeah. and the people who fund it know that's the thing that works and theatres would take it yeah. and can get to audiences, suddenly it becomes this recurring thing. So even if that person would prefer to plant a load of trees and let a poem off in a balloon and then shoot it down with a pistol, that's not going to get funded. funded. But that <laughs> might be the thing that they should be doing. Yeah. But some, when you write that funding uh, application and say, yeah, what I'm going to do is plant 10 oak trees, have a, a red balloon filled with helium with a poem inside that floats up in the air and then I'm going to shoot it with an air rifle and no one will see that poem because that's really what I want to do to express myself. They'll be like, nah, mate. Mm. How many? How yeah. many's in your reach? Yeah, what exactly. Are you getting on and you'll be like, media? no one's gonna see this, and you don't, mm. you won't get money for it. And it, that's a shame because those things should exist. I, I'm, I've just made that up off the top of my head, as you can tell. But what I'm trying to say, that variety of things should exist. But at the moment, what you get is a lot of one-person shows. You do, yeah. And I think and there's a, some amazing one-person shows out there yeah. and people are really doing things with the art form that people haven't really explored before. And I think that's the way you should go. You should think, how far can I possibly push this art form and what new things can I do and, like, can I cross it with other things? And and then sometimes I think that. And then sometimes I think there's so much beauty in people just speaking yeah. words that they've crafted. So... Because you, you, you think I think it's more theatre than it is poetry. Oh God, definitely. So, and I always thing, say, yeah. like, because my fat girls don't dance. My first, um, my first one person show. This is another thing I don't know whether to call it play, one yeah. person show, spoken word show, yeah. theatre piece. Uh, you know, theatre piece is quite good. I usually go with something like that. Yeah, with with a theatre piece, but because I'm known as a in air quotes again spoken word artist. Yeah. Um, 
it got called a spoken word show. Right. And I suppose it was in a way, but it was definitely a, a theatre piece. Yeah. It won an award for a, for the best spoken word show at the Saboteur Awards in 2017. Right. Yeah. And I kind of almost felt bad for winning it because I felt like it wasn't a spoken word show. Yeah. Very glad to have won it. But it, but it does fall under in that category. It does, but my new show is very much a, ver a one-person monologue, right. a theatre mm. piece, a theatre show. But people still call it a spoken word show because I'm known by certain people yeah. for doing you poetry. You, know, you said you came into it through acting. Do you yeah. feel you're acting now? No. More than being a, a poet writer? No, and this is the thing, because people, because I perform my new show, Essex Girl, um, as a character, a 16-year-old yeah. girl, Yeah. no doubt I am acting. Yeah. I am acting. I'm doing, you know, I'm performing as a different person. I'm portraying a character. Yeah. But in my head, I'm not... But I'm you've also acting. written that character. Yeah. Uh, you've directed that character on the lead. Do you have a director in I your show? I do have a director. But only after, only after you've come up with the whole, written the whole draft, though, is it? Not, or not the not whole really? draft. I mean, I work with Lucy Bairstow as my director. She's directed both of my, um, both of my pieces, and she's incredible. She's um, trained at drama school as well. She went to Central. She does a lot of movement stuff as well. Um, she's brilliant. And I sort of get her in. I do some of the writing first. I think with Essex Girl, I had written maybe half of it. Hmm. And I send it to her and we sort of put it up. And uh, this is when I was doing scratches at Batsy Art Centre. So it was just sort of us in a room looking at what we've got and then thinking about where we want it to go and what it's trying to say and, you yeah, know, yeah. get getting very drama school on it, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Putting stuff up on the yeah, walls yeah. and, you know, colour-coded post-its and, <laughs> you know, getting really serious about it, Dan. Yeah. But, um... But what, do you... I've got a poem in my new book um, that's coming out in September about how uh, a lot of poets aren't poets, they're, they're actors or they're... Uh, not you know they want to write a novel or it's just it's just a segue to be doing something the else thing. yeah i don't get that sense of you but do you think that you're you're doing this because you want to go on and do other stuff or do you think oh this is it actually i, I love doing this or what could you, if, if money was no object what would you be sitting there just as you said writing a poem and just reading it out on a stage somewhere without any of the the bigger stuff. The grandeur. Yeah, yeah, the grandeur, yeah. The lights, the camera, the action. To be I mean, I love so many different aspects of being an artist, you know what I mean? Like, that sounds really wanky, but I don't have one thing that I'm like, that is the thing. Yeah. I love writing and I love performing. I love performing words that I have written. Yeah. And I'm like, I created that. Yeah. And I'm giving it away in a way that only I can. And that's kind of selfish because I'm not give you know, I'm doing everything. <clears throat> yeah. But it's control though, isn't it? I think there's too, there's just too many pigeonholes, there's too many boxes. Yeah. It's like, well, are you a poet? Are you a spoken word yeah, artist? Yeah, yeah. Are you a theatre maker? Are you an actor? Are you a filmmaker? Why could you know? How do you get around to... that though? The only reason the, the only reason theatres can put you on is because they can advertise their audience in a certain way. And the, the Joe blogs in the street who doesn't know you will walk along and go, oh, yeah, I, I've seen a spoken word show to, 
before. I quite liked it. I might go and try this one. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen it over the last 10 years. It happened with comedy as well. So in the 80s and very early 90s, the, the variety of comedy on a stage was incredible. You know, people were putting their heads in buckets of water and it wasn't stand-up. But then suddenly stand-up became the thing yeah. and now stand-up is the thing that everyone does. And then there's a, there's a, a few left that do a, something different and yeah. sometimes they can't even get on those comedy stages because it's not what the punter pays to see mm. and the same things happen to poetry you know there used to be such a variety of things going on from two-line poems I hardly ever see anyone do a two-line poem anymore and mm. because it's all you know three to five minute pieces with an epiphany at the end of and, course, it's, and it's a bit like ah oh, yeah that's great but now that's 90% of what you see on a on a poetry stage and we're to you know banks of the guns to blame as well because we have to put that type of thing on because yeah the landscape's changed really and you know that those people who are doing those those spoken word pieces are really serious about it and practicing it and you know that i know that if i put them on for 15 minutes they're going to absolutely nail it Mm. and you can't take the chances of someone sticking a paper bag on their head and you know, reading a poem about a pigeon and then a, a lot of the audience not getting it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've seen some very interesting things at Banks of the Gun. Yeah. Down. In the old, but that's what we could in, in the, the old, old days, days when we were above forget, a pub I've, and it was a fiver. I've seen a man take off all his clothes yeah. and light a firework in his bottom. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see the one? That was Chris Lynham. That was his thing. Yeah, yes. he was great. And he, but he's another one who can't, he can't get booked because it's too dangerous, you know. So yeah. he lights a firework and sticks it up his arse. Fantastic. It's what a spectacle to see at a poetry night. But he's also told me about once when, when he had his kids were small, um, he would grab um, a baby off um, this woman, who happened to be his wife or his partner at the yeah, time, yeah. and throw the baby across the audience 10 feet. And, the, and people were like, ah, oh, because they all thought it was, but it was all set up. But he was like, yeah, maybe it was going a bit far, throwing the baby 10 feet. But can you imagine? It was it must have been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Still his that. baby, though. Like, who was he chucking it to? I, <laughs> I, I think the world, the poet, you know, things have become very conservative. You know, I think Bang was, in its early days, was you know, very influenced by the Dadaist. But back in the day, they would be, you know, throwing darts at people in the audience and yeah. doing things that were so outrageous. But everything now is like, oh, we've got to please the audience. Otherwise, they might be offended by those things. And I think throwing a baby across an audience is pretty offensive. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, art's art, Dan, do you know what I mean? If if you say it's art, it's art. It is art, yeah. And I, you know what, I'm not one that really gets, you know, I can't, go to the Tate Modern and get excited about a blue canvas with a red dot on it. I've never no. been that kind of person. Um, but I guess it's a shame, like you say, that we're not having these things on stage that are a bit shocking and a bit different yeah. and, a, and will spark conversation. Because that's the thing that I think is most important about any art, yeah, yeah. is that it sparks some kind of conversation. We, we, you remind me of so many uh, naked people getting on the bang stage now. There was a, there was, 
there was a guy, an Italian... You can't stop thinking about the There, was this, oh, there was this Italian guy who climbed through the window of... He'd climb up the um, the drain pipe and up through the top window of the pub. Yeah. Uh, and wrapped in just a towel. And then he would he would have a knife with a cucumber and he would just be cutting the cucumber like that and then his towel would drop as he was slicing the <laughs> cucumber. Where was it? How did I miss this? I don't was know. this before my time? Maybe. So he was fantastic. And there was another guy who's still around, Ernesto. I can't remember his surname, but he he's, uh, he's on the the sort of gay cabaret scene, I think. Right. And he completely undressed and read a poem naked. But at least um, that's got a poem in it, Dan. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Bang Said the Gun was a poetry night for people that don't like poetry, right? That, yeah. This was the tagline, if I remember yeah. correctly. But if some bloke's jumping through the window <laughs> and chopping up a cucumber... That's entertainment. But I would say... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't like poetry, so you might like this bloke... Chopping up a cucumber. I, I, I would say that was... Uh, like, what, what were you no. booking them on the premise of? Well, just that poetry is a really broad church, isn't it? So would you argue that the cucumber was, was in fact, poetry? Well, also, you know, where there's another thing. <laughs> that I think the poetry world is really good at putting acts on. Or was, really. I, I don't... I'm not on the on the ground anymore I can't I, I don't get a chance with kids and babysitters I don't get a chance to go out and see too many poetry nights but yeah. what they were really good at and maybe they still are really good at is putting people on who wouldn't have been able to go on any other stage and yeah. I think that was what it. you know when you put some someone like that on and then you have someone who does some poetry and then someone does some music uh, it does add make a really interesting night and it is poet. I think it's poetry. You know, I think. It I is. think it's poetry. I don't get why this. All this. I mean, there's all this thing with publishing, and you know, if you're um, a performance poet, you know, you have, like you say, better access to stages because, for example, if you're from um, a minority, you're less likely to get published, mm. and people have this expectation with publishing. But then, even if you do get published, then it's like Raymond Antrobus, right? Yeah. You got um, nominated for. I can't remember which award it was, to be honest, but he got nominated for this amazing award and, you know, they called him a, a spoken word artist. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, wow, look, this is the first time a spoken word artist has been put up for this award. No, yeah. he, he's a poet. Yeah. He's, just, he's book, just a poet, mate. Like, poet, yeah. Yeah, a, a and poet. yeah, it's a shame. There's always going to be this crossover. I won't go into it, the whole page versus stage yeah. malarkey because it's a load of bollocks, to be honest with you. But... Yeah, I think there there are too many boxes, and there's, yeah, maybe not as much fun like you say. Bring back, bring back the cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Well, on that note, listen, we've we've uh, we're over two thirds of way through, and at yeah. this point in the show, um, you have to answer the big question. Okay, and this week, the big question. That you've chosen is what is the most valuable thing you have ever lost that is a big question yeah the questions you sent me they were all big questions they were maybe too big so big <laughs> that i couldn't possibly i mean i chose that one but i don't know it's uh, the most valuable thing i've ever lost i lose stuff all the time you know i know i saw you just a, a few days ago and you'd lost your keys yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had. I had to. 
<laughs> I had to come back and take Matt's keys because I'd forgotten my keys. But you found but them I thought, again. Yeah, I thought I'd lost them. And the thing is, if I think I've lost something, yeah, then I go into panic mode. Yeah. Like, for example, when I lost my keys, I was like, somebody see me drop them yeah, outside yeah, my house. Yeah. They're in my house. <laughs> They're taking my stuff. We're going to have nothing. They're nicking my computer. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know, yeah. Of course they ain't. They're on my kitchen table. <laughs> like... But yeah, it fills me with massive anxiety, and I lose silly things all the time. I lose umbrellas. Yeah, I do. Do you know what I've all done? All the time. It's, this is perfect conversation because it's yeah, raining. I ain't got an umbrella today because I bloody lost it. Well, Left it on the bus. Gina would buy. She buys quite expensive. Um, what I would say is an expensive umbrella. Mm-hmm. So she might buy a ten to fifteen pound umbrella, which I think is quite expensive. So we had these ones at the at the self opened. I borrowed her umbrella. And of course, I lost it. I'm always losing it. And I remember, as I walked out the door, she was like, don't lose it. You know, you lost the last one. Don't lose this one. And I lost it. (laughs) And I went straight to the shop where she, because I didn't want to come home and tell her I'd lost the umbrella. I went straight to the shop where she got it from and bought a new one. Yeah. And bought the new one home and never told her that I had lost it. She's going to know now. I know. (laughs) She probably won't. She, she, she probably won't listen to these things. Uh, but her mates in Australia listen to this rather than that. But yeah, so yeah. there's an umbrella that we have, which is, she, yeah, she knows now. But I, yeah. I bought because I didn't want to get it in the neck when I got home under the thumb. Was it? And it was a proper umbrella, was it? Like sturdy, proper sturdy big, one, big yeah. umbrella, big nice handle. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I lost this umbrella the other day, and Matt was like, "Don't worry, I'll go get you." This is my partner, Matt. He was like, I'll go get you another umbrella. And I was like, okay. And I, I was had a show at the Vault Festival that night and I was stressing out. And I tried to, I tried to make a beef bourguignon and it didn't work. And I was like, I'm trying to be an adult and I'm not, I'm not, I haven't got an umbrella and I haven't got a beef bourguignon and I've got to do a show tonight. You know, it was, it was, it was madness. He went out. I thought he was going to go get me an umbrella from yeah. Primark. He comes back. With this massive <laughs> cardboard tube, oh, and he was God. like, "Look, I didn't. Was like, I didn't know it was going to be this big." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" He was like, "I went to Argos, <laughs> and he, he was like, I won't say how much it was, but it was double figures." <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and he produces this massive golfing umbrella with like a foam <laughs> handle. Um, and I was like, all right, but I can't use this in, in my day-to-day in life. London, I can't walk down the street in London with that. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't fit, I you couldn't wanna, fit down yeah. the road. But we did use it that, that evening and the next evening, yeah, actually. It's a shame you haven't got a, got it now, because I'm going to chuck you out of here. And the rain... I know, it's really sense. bad. And I haven't got a little umbrella. Anyway. Anyway, on the... Like, we've got around... Those, about yeah. <laughs> Those things aren't valuable. We've just spoke five minutes about the frivolous <laughs> things of uh, what we could lose. What but, about the uh, the big thing? Well, this is the thing, because I was thinking about things, and I was like, you know, I've lost jewellery, and I've lost things that are sentimental t- to me, but then they're still only, like, things, aren't they? I suppose they're replaceable but I was thinking of like I mean it depends how deep you want to get on this Dan because you might have to go closer to the microphone I know it's, it's actually a hurricane out there I don't know yeah, um, God, yeah. yeah I was thinking about like when you lose 
for example, if you lose passion for something, yeah. or if you lose, or for, or for someone for that matter, or if you lose confidence or yeah, yeah. lose self-worth. I think for me, the, the, wor the worst or sort of valuable, most valuable thing I've ever lost is when I was just didn't lost confidence in myself yeah yeah and lost love for myself and lost value for what I was doing because we all do don't we we yeah. all have a point so do you think you when, we do when you were at that point do you think you gained something coming out the other side oh god definitely because well, you've learned a lot from that oh god definitely yeah and I think that that might be a bit of a wanky answer but I genuinely think we all have these times where, I don't know, we just lose respect for ourselves for one yeah. reason or another. And it's probably there for a reason, to make you grow. And oh, yeah, and you'll come, come through the stronger. other side and, and yeah. you'll, it will be more valuable to you when you get it back. Yeah. I suppose yeah, yeah. this is a bit of a cop-out to the answer, yeah, no, to the question. That's a, good, that's a really good thing, yeah. Because the most, because the most valuable thing I've ever lost... I found again. Right. But like, yeah. what, if, what if you don't? Yeah. Yeah, but you did, and that's why it's... Yeah, I like that answer a lot, that you, once you get those things back, you realise... Well, it is like love. If you lose a love and you, you manage to get that love back, uh, then it's really precious, isn't it? And you don't want it. It's a break game. Yeah. I mean, whether you have sort of like a bad breakup or you have a dip, in your career you have a, a knockback a setback you lose someone if some you yeah. know somebody dies or you know something in your life changes dramatically and it makes you lose confidence and lose faith yeah and you know lose any sort of excitement or optimism for what you're doing then I always think about my childhood and the loss of innocence, and when you grow. But yeah. what it gets replaced with is a, is a wisdom that you can't you you can't have that innocence and naivety, and have wisdom at the same time. You've got to lose one to get the other. Yeah. And yes, it's really nice to be that naive and everything's fun. Yeah. But it's it's also a privilege, I suppose, to have that wisdom and look back. So when I look at my kids. I, they remind me of, oh, wow, yeah. I love that time, but it's, it's a privilege to look on it. Yeah. You know, even though I've lost it, I've gained it in another way by, you know, I, I can li have a lived experience through them and hopefully don't make mistakes by, you know, pressurising them or just let, yeah. just let them get on with it. I was thinking about that as well. I was thinking about sort of the, the loss of innocence and the loss of your childhood. And I work a lot with kids. And I work with um, a lot of sort of primary aged kids. And you can see the sort of, the point in time where they go from playing with imagination and really believing things yeah. to automatically going, but it's not real. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I work in um, a storytelling center where they have an exhibition of author's books and they can go in and they can be in the world, you know, look, oh, look, there's a tiger, there's a tiger. And there's the kids that will go, oh, a tiger, rah, and like yeah, yeah. Play, play with the tiger and genuinely believe it's a tiger. 
And then there's kids that will turn around and go, but it's not a real tiger. Yeah. And you think, well, and, and I never know how to answer that. But you have to say, but it is, mate. <laughs> it is. But yeah, I'm like, what do I say? Of course it's not, mate. Yeah. But, you know, go and, out, go and play. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. they'll go for that stage of getting it, you, you know, going back and, well, maybe they've lost it forever. But we suppose, as artists, we, we never really got out of that, did we? No, I'll, we're, we're I'll always like, oh. think it's a tiger. So when my, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. When my boys are drawing stuff and they're like, what's that? I, and I, I remember, yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, oh, nice, nice spider. And uh, Billy go, it's not a spider, it's an octopus. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> great, octopus. I'm kind of with him on it, you know, it can be anything, can't it? Yeah. Listen, time's up. It's been absolutely beautiful oh, talking to you. We could have gone on forever. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, you've been listening to Maria Ferguson. Mm. If you're local, uh, have you got a tour of anything? Have you got a website where people can find out where you're going to be? I have got a website. My website is www.mariaferg.com. Maria Ferg. And Ferg is spelled F-E-R-G. Brilliant. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Yeah. So people, if you've got any questions for Maria, hook her up on Twitter or Instagram and I'm sure she'll answer everything she can. Uh been wonderful thanks Dan. Uh, i hope the rain hasn't disrupted your <laughs> listening too much hopefully next time we'll be in glorious sunshine for the next one uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time bye 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 poet waffle was written and presented by daniel cockrell original concept by jack white music and audio production by julian ward artwork by damien wayhill and technical support from laurie eaves